You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Find Your Center. We all have things that we would like to do, and we all have things that we have to do. The great equalizer is our priority list. In today's teaching, we will be examining what our priority list should look like as followers of Jesus. Here is part two, pause your priorities of Find Your Center. I wonder if you would agree with me uh, on this uh, when, I say, when I say that our priorities, right, our priorities are proven by our decisions and not our intentions. Say that one more time. Our priorities are proven by our decisions, not our intentions. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I can have every good intention in the world of becoming a better husband, right? But, but if I don't ever actually commit to the Make the decision and commit to the action of, of reading up on how to be a better husband, on, on learning how to be a better husband to my wife and learning what makes my wife tick and what makes her happy, then my intentions are pointless. Would you agree with that? I could have the best of intentions. I could say I could have every intention on, on getting healthy, but if I never commit to the action of eating correctly and, and P90Xing it or, or, or whatever, right, hitting the gym then my intentions are pointless. And that's why I say that our priorities are proven by our decisions and not our intentions. So if this is true, I believe it to be true. If this is true, then let me ask you, what are your real priorities? What are your real priorities? If, if you're like most people, or at least many people, what we say are our priorities and what actually are our priorities are two completely opposite things, oftentimes two completely separate things. But nonetheless, um, I wanted to show you what I believe to be the typical Christian, maybe, maybe Christian priority list, one to four, okay? So let's put that up there. Number one, I would say, on our priority list, right, we, we got to say, well, that's Jesus. Are you with me? Are you out there today? Yeah? So number one on the priority list would be Jesus. He's got to be number one. He's got to be the top. And then number two, most likely, we would say, well, then it's my family. Being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good son, being a good daughter, being a good mother, father, so on and so forth. Normally in this priority list, number three would be our career. Following after our goals, running after our passions, our dreams, providing income, and then if you really are truly saved, the number four would be the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, we would say that this is that, that we would truly say with confidence because we believe that this is how it's supposed to be. Are you with me? We believe that this is how it's supposed to look. Jesus must have the first point of priority in our lives. And, and I want you to know you're not completely wrong. But we're also not completely correct. We're not completely wrong when we say that, that Jesus must be the first priority. But, but I also want you to know that I don't think that we're also completely correct. When we make a priority like this, with Jesus at the top of it, I think oftentimes, and maybe you can agree with this, I think oftentimes it leaves us kind of scratching our head at, at, at what the number one priority actually looks like. Do you know what I mean? I mean, what does it actually mean to make Jesus the number one priority in our life? For many of us, we're really not sure. And so 
We, we try a, a whole lot of stuff, right? So maybe for you, the number one priority in life being Jesus means that, that every single morning when you wake up, you're going to spend time in Scripture, right? i got to do that. got to knock that out. Why? Because Jesus is the number one thing. Okay. Maybe for you, it's, 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 it's making sure that you have prayer before every meal with your family, whatever that might be. Why do you do that? Because Jesus is number one. Or maybe for you, it's, it's, it's making the weekend worship experience, showing up to church uh, a priority. You feel like that's how you put Jesus number one. Maybe you even volunteer or, or you're obedient through, through investing in life change financially. But i got to ask you, while all those things are great, while all those things are wonderful, are those actions, those things that we do, is that actually what it means to make Jesus the number one priority? Is that what it means? We've been going through the book of Romans for over a year now, and we just started in Romans chapter 10 last week. We're walking through this series called Find Your Center. Last week we spent some time talking about the, the void that exists inside of all of us, this, this need to be fulfilled, this insatiable desire to be satisfied from the time that we're born to the time that we die. And today, today we're going to continue in Romans chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 8. And I want you to read with me, if you would, Verse 8 says this. I'm excited, by the way. I'm excited to preach today. I'm going to be honest with you. There's some days when I show up and I'm not as excited. Today, I'm, I am excited, okay? So I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach loud. I'm going to preach hard, and I hope that's okay. If not, i got a microphone. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says this. The word is near you. Look at your neighbor and say, the word's near you. Look at your other neighbor and say, the word is near you, too. And he goes on to say this, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Look at this now, look at this, look at this, look at this. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. What's what's Paul, the author of Romans, what is he speaking about here? Well, suffice to say, this word of faith he's talking about is the gospel. It's the gospel. Gospel, Paul says, is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. What's the gospel? Well, simply put, the the gospel is the fact that God sent his only son into the world for you. To live for you. To die for you. To be resurrected again for you. So that you could make a way, so that you could find a way to God. In a nutshell, that is what the gospel is. And Jesus Christ is the is the personification, if you will. Does that make sense? Jesus is the personification of the gospel. If you could embody the gospel, that's what Jesus Christ would be. i got to ask you, right here in verse 8, he starts out, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Have, have there been times in your life when, there has to have been, where you've just felt like the word is not close to you? How many of us, we just feel like, Man, I've been through seasons, and maybe you're even in a season right now where you feel like Jesus, where you feel like the gospel, where you feel like God himself could not feel any farther away than he currently does. That's where you are. I'm so thankful that Scripture teaches us that we're not only to worship in spirit, but we're also to worship in what? In truth. How many of you know that if you lean into your feelings only, you will be lost? Man, if you don't believe this, go back to junior high. 
Go back to junior high. And no, no slam on junior hires, but, but I got to be honest, I had no business dating anybody in junior high. My parents didn't know about it. But I had no business because I was straight up all feelings. You know what I'm saying? There's no truth there. But I love that even when we feel like the word of God, when we even feel like the gospel, when, he, when we even feel like Jesus is not close, we don't just worship in our feelings, but we also worship in truth. And Paul provides this truth. He says, and you could say, regardless of the way you feel, regardless of the, how the day is, regardless if you thought you were going to wake up in sun and it actually turned out to snow because you live in middle Ohio, the word is near you. Come on. Jesus is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Verse 9, it goes on to say, straight up the gospel says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Will you read this with me? It says, you will be what? You will be saved. This is the good news. This is the gospel, the unadulterated, beautiful, grace-centered, faith-filled gospel that a God who loved us so much couldn't get close, to, to close enough to us. So he had to send his son to live in us. This is in verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Oh, I love this. I love this next passage. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. We just say the word everyone. It's fascinating when you read in the Greek uh, this word everyone. Do you know what that actually means? It means everybody. I don't know if you realize that or not. Um, a little bit of seminary will, te- will help you with that. But, but yeah, th- this word everybody, everyone who believes, it actually means it's all-encompassing, which means that anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. I'll amen myself on that one. Amen. And then it goes on in this. It says, verse 12, look at this. This is so good. For there is no distinction between Jew and and Greek. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about this fact, this very specific fact. And I like to say it like this. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Aren't you so thankful that we serve a God who makes no distinction between Jew and and Greek. You say, Travis, what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. We, have, we serve a God who makes no distinction between black and white. We serve a God who makes no distinction between Caucasian and Hispanic. We serve a God who makes no distinction between rich and poor. We serve a God who makes no distinction between young and old. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Are welcome. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love it. He says like this. For the same Lord is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. Whether you're American, European, Puerto Rican, even Canadians. God is the God of them all, eh? Verse 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul seems to indicate here that a relationship with Christ a relationship that gives Jesus the number one spot and priority is not only something that we're a part of, but it's more so that's a part of us. Something that, is, something that is in us. Paul says that the word is in our mouth and in our heart. In essence, the gospel. Think about this now. The gospel. Jesus Christ himself 
when, when you surrender your life to him, Jesus Christ fuses himself. Don't miss me now. Jesus Christ fuses himself into you. It was about a year ago, my wife uh, was in a, a small car accident down in Louisville, Kentucky, visiting her family. She, she ended up running off the road, and, and we thought it was going to cost major dollars, right? We thought it ruined the underneath of the, of the van, of the minivan. And uh, what happened was we, we took it to the mechanic, and the mechanic was like, no, it's, it's actually not that bad. I'm going to be able to weld this piece together, this piece that was in question. I was like, okay, well, I have a basic understanding of what welding is, but can you kind of walk me through that? He's like, yeah, I'm going to take this metal, heat it up really hot. I'm going to take the other piece of metal, heat it up real hot with a blowtorch, and we're going to fuse them together. And these two separate pieces are now going to become one. And this is impacting. This should impact our lives. I want you to know that Jesus Christ when we surrender to him, he fuses his spirit. He fuses himself to our soul. He, he lives inside of us. I love this picture of, of a God in the Old Testament who, who took up a, a residence in the center of, of a people called Israel. But even among the Israelites, he, he didn't make himself completely available. You had to be a priest. You had to be a certain type of priest. You had to keep a certain standard of, of perfection and wash and all these things. And, and every once in a while, they could go uh, before God on behalf of all the people. But then it's kind of like God was like, that's still not close enough for me. I, I got to get closer to my creation. And so scripture tells us that God puts on flesh and bone becomes Emmanuel, literally meaning God with us. And God becomes this, this tangible flesh being named Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ now walks and talks and speaks with his creation. God in heaven puts on flesh and bone, walks and talks because he could not get close enough to his creation. But even that wasn't even enough, was it? Because then Jesus lays down his life and the most amazing thing happens. He rises again to conquer the grave. Amen? And then he says, I will make a home in you. I will take up residence in you. God goes from being a God who dwells in a camp to a God who dwells in his people. God is an amazing God. God is an incredible God. God is a God who longs to be near us, in our mouth, and in our heart. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read and when I hear passages like this about being saved, I gotta be really honest with you, there's, there's a part of me, and maybe it's the old school Baptist kid, I don't know, um, there's a part of me that just gets really excited about my future. Anybody else? I mean, I get really excited about my eternity, now, i got to be honest with you. I look forward to the day when I will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. I look forward to the day when I will fall to my knees and worship the name that is above every name. I look forward to the day when I will gather my brothers and sisters through all time and sing a new song to our Messiah. Scripture talks about heaven. It says that it is a place where there is no pain, no sickness, no disease, terrorism, no death, no cancer, a place where Christ will wipe every single tear from every eye. That gets me excited. 
And you wonder sometimes maybe why you don't feel comfortable in this world. I'll tell you why. Because this world is not your home. You ever put on one of those sweaters that's just really uncomfortable, really itchy? That, was, that basically like sums up my entire childhood. I don't know if that helps at all. But uh, you know how we all have a weird uncle? I got a weird uncle who always gave us sweaters. And somehow my parents thought that would be great. Oh, you're in fifth grade. That'll fit you. And I just had a huge turtleneck with long arms and it itched. It's kind of like an itchy sweater. I just feel sometimes like, like, like this skin doesn't fit. I just feel sometimes like this world doesn't fit. Do you know why? This world's not my home. Scripture tells us that we're just sojourners. We're just traveling through. And I get excited about that. I get excited about the fact that Scripture tells me that, that heaven is a place that no eye has ever even seen. No ear has ever heard. We can't even imagine what heaven will be like. And even if I'm the only one that's excited about that here today, I am truly, truly excited about heaven. But i got to let you know, if your relationship with Jesus is only about you getting into heaven someday, then Jesus probably isn't that important to you today. Let me just say that again. If your relationship with Jesus is only about you getting into heaven someday, then your relationship with Jesus probably isn't all that important to you today. See, that logic contradicts the point that Paul is trying to make when he says that the word is near you, that it is in our mouths and in our hearts. Come on now. The fact is Jesus doesn't just want to save you in the afterlife. Jesus wants to save you in your everyday life. Jesus doesn't just want to be the Lord of your tomorrow. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your today. Jesus is the God who wants to walk with you through your pain. Jesus is the God who wants to walk with you in your struggle. Jesus is the God who wants to walk with you through your addictions and your anxieties. Jesus is a God that wants to get front row and center in the messiness and depravity of your everyday life. Where in the world do we come up with this idea that God only loves us when we are beautiful, polished, and clean? It keeps us from an honest relationship with our Father. You say, well, I gotta be, I gotta be good, I gotta be, I gotta be perfect, I gotta be. No, Jesus doesn't dismiss your sin. Don't get me wrong. But but he also meets you where you are. We understand that, right? Jesus is a God who meets you where you are. Now, he's not satisfied to leave you there. No, 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 no. He'll walk with you. He'll take you on a journey. But Jesus is a God who wants to walk with you in your everyday life, not just the peaks, but also the valleys. How many of us, let's just be honest, how many of us are thankful for a God that is willing to walk the valleys with us? And because sometimes, man, you look around in that valley and there's no one there. And sometimes you walk through that valley and you can't find one person to support you. Your closest friends, sometimes even your family. I know he slipped back into that addiction. This is the 15th time. I'm done. It's over. Yeah, that's his anxiety. I'm just done. Oh, yeah, he did this again. He messed up again. I'm so thankful for a Savior who has never, ever given up on me. 
I am so thankful for a Savior, for a God that is willing to walk in the dirtiness of my life along with the beautiful places. Jesus truly is the king of all my todays. But if we want Jesus to be the king of all our todays, we got to pause our priorities. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to pause your priorities. Come on, say, you got to pause your priorities. The name of this sermon, you got to pause your priorities. Let me show you what I mean. Let's take a look at our priority list again. We've got number one, Jesus. Number one priority, we got Jesus. Number two, family. Number three, career. Now, this seems like a pretty noble priority list, if you ask me. Downright righteous, let's be honest. It looks pretty normal. But, but I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder if you'd agree with this. I've come to discover that, to be honest with you, I've come to discover that this priority list isn't very effective. Even that practical when you get into the reality of the day-to-day. You know what I mean? It's not really effective or practical when you get into the reality of your day-to-day. For instance, what does it actually mean to place Jesus over my family? Because that's what he is in this priority list, right? Jesus is, number one, he's over my family. So does that mean that Jesus is over my wife? Well, of course, according to this priority list. So does that mean that there's going to be times in my life where, where I have to ignore my wife because I'm going to spend time with Jesus? How would that work in your house? I can't talk to you, no, honey, I can't, I know there's bills, I can't talk to you, I gotta go pray, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta talk to Jesus. What about your relationship with your kids? Does that mean that I have to go to my kids and say, hey guys, listen, I, dad can really only play for like a max of 30 minutes tonight, I've only spent like 25 minutes today in scripture, I really gotta, you know, do that. What about our career? Can you imagine walking into work tomorrow and telling your boss, hey, listen, uh, listen boss, I... I can only put in like four hours today. I gotta catch up on prayer. Um, so you're gonna have to excuse me. That might fly like one time, just out of pure shock. <laughs> right? But I'll be honest with you if that's something that you continue to do, you won't have to worry about having enough time for your prayer life. You'll have all the time <laughs> you need. What does it actually mean to put Jesus as number one? Does putting Jesus first mean that we have to stop working? Here's here's my point. I think the foundational problem with this approach is that it segregates our different priorities in life. We end up removing Jesus from where we spend the majority of our time and put him on an island all by himself. And we can even feel justified in this. You ever feel justified in this? Right? I can't spend time with you, woman. I got, because that's how we all talk to our wives, I'm sure. I can't talk to you, woman. I got to spend time on the word. You have to spend time with, I got to spend time on the word, right? And we feel justified. Or with our kids, like, I got I to gotta do this, I got to do this. But dad, you haven't spent any time. Or, or, or maybe it's with our work. Maybe you go in and you're like, I, I can't work this much because I got to spend time praying. And you lose your job and all of a sudden you feel like a martyr. And there's some pride there and you feel good. But let me ask you, let me ask you something. It, is that how it's supposed to work? See, this priority list doesn't seem very effective when we are called to be a light in the darkness. This priority list doesn't seem like it's very effective when Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth or a city set on a hill. 
How are we to be a light to the world? How are we to be a witness to the world when we totally segregate our relationship with Christ from the places where we live the majority of our lives? Am I making sense? Colossians says it this way. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse one, chapter one, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Let's just stop there for a second. Can you think about that for a minute? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's amazing. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. Let me hear you say before. Yeah, Jesus is before all things. And in, things, in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but I would challenge you in your Sea Life group this week to, to pick apart that passage. It is a beautiful work of art. It is a beautiful piece of truth. It's amazing. But notice what it says here. It says that Jesus is before all things. Jesus is at the head. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn. It says that in everything, he is preeminent. He is supreme. He is, he is first. Now, the thing is that at first glance, this seems to support the priority list approach, doesn't it? First, 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 first. Okay. Put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. He's first in everything, first in creation, first in all. Except that's not all that it says. Notice what else it says. It also says that all things were created through him and for him. And that in him, all things hold together. And it goes on to say that the goal of the cross is to reconcile all things to himself. So yes, Jesus is first. Of course, Jesus is first. He is the first in order. He is the first in everything. But don't miss this. Listen, are you listening? He is the first in everything. But he is first in everything because he is the center of everything. He is first in everything because he is the center of everything. He is at the center of the beginning. John 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Jesus. Jesus is at the center of the beginning. Jesus is at the center of all creation. Every molecule, every atom, every strand in this universe was created by him, through him, and for him because he is at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of everything. And so I would make the case that this is how he should be in our lives as well, at the center. And interestingly enough, wouldn't you know, the thing at the center of our lives is the thing that is ultimately first in our lives. What is at the center of your life is actually what is first in your life. So what does this mean? It means this, simply put, instead of worrying, right, about putting Jesus first in our lives, don't miss this now, 
What if we concentrated on making Jesus the center of every area of our lives? Not just first on a priority list, but the center of every area of our lives. Not just the top priority in front of every other priority, but the top priority in every priority. Do you catch that? See, let me explain it this way. It shouldn't be Jesus and then my family. It should be Jesus in my family. It should never be Jesus, then my marriage. It should be Jesus in my marriage. It should never be Jesus and then my career. It should be Jesus in my career. See, Jesus was never meant to be an addition. Jesus was never meant to be an accessory, an add-on. Jesus was never meant to be an app that you open up and, and access whenever you need it and close down whenever you don't. Jesus is meant to be the center of our lives, the thing that my world orbits around, that my priorities run through. Jesus is the way that I do whatever I do whenever I do it. He doesn't just change what I do on Sunday. He changes who I am on Monday. He changes who I am and transforms me on Tuesday. He walks with me on Wednesday. He comes through on Thursday. I follow him on Friday, and he stands with me on Saturday. And I want you to know that meeting Jesus will change your eternity, but putting Jesus at the center will change your today. It will change your today. I'm a better man because Jesus is at my center today. I can be a better husband when I place Jesus at the center today. I'm a better employee today because Jesus is at my center. I'm a better student today. I'm a better boss today. You fill in the blank. I am better today when Jesus is at my center. And I can say this with all confidence. All confidence. Because I know, as scripture tells me, that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. I want you to know this morning, some of you who feel like God is so far in the distance, he is so close. And he who began a good work in you, he's faithful to complete it but you have to make him your center. You have to allow your world to orbit around the center, which is Jesus Christ. You hear me this morning? I love scripture that talks about who we are in Jesus. It says we're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, everything has been made new. Everything has been made new. John 1, 12 tell, tells us that we are now children of God. We're no longer born of flesh and blood, but no born of spirit. And so these labels and definitions that we place at the center of our lives that have defined us for far too long, Jesus takes those labels, Jesus takes those definitions, and he takes them to the grave. He says, no, that doesn't define you. You're my child. Place me at the center. That you feel... That's meant to be filled by me. Place me at the center. I don't want to just have your tomorrow. I want you today.
Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.